Hi, and welcome to the Chats with Leaders podcast, a podcast for modern leaders who want to make courageous moves, push the boundaries, and find that sweet spot between ambition and life. Now, let's face it, modern leadership is a roller coaster regardless of experience level, and this podcast is a breath of fresh air, pulling you out of the busy day-to-day, sharing insights and stories from leaders across the globe to inspire you, empower you, and yes, entertain Now, I'm Jane Fennick, a leadership coach who's worked with thousands of people over the years and your podcast host, and I'm just so excited to have you join me. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. Oh, it's going to be a goodie because we are talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is how to raise your profile as a leader and how to be more visible. And one of the things we talk about a lot and hear uh, a lot about is thought leadership. But what really is it? You know, how do you get started with it? How do you leverage it to make an impact, create opportunities, to build trust for yourself as a leader, for the people around you, for your organization? So I've got an expert on to join me today, which is really, really exciting. I'm speaking with Nick Huber, who's a leading international journalist and content strategist. Now, Nick has written for the BBC, Financial Times, The Guardian. He's worked with um, organizations, you know, PwC, Sage, Goldman Sachs, KPMG, HBC. I mean, the list goes on. But ultimately, Nick knows a thing or two. And we're going to be talking about thought leadership, why you need to do it, and how to get started, how to do it well. We talk about Nick's awesome career story. We talk about increasing your visibility, creating career opportunities. We talk about how to engage with journalists to pitch ideas or be included in articles. Oh, there's just so much good stuff in here. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Good to talk. Oh, no, I'm delighted. Look, I think in the busy world that is work and, uh, and and LinkedIn, where we first met, your content drew me in. And I mean, given your background, that's what you do. But actually, you know how, I mean, there's just so much noise out there, you know, online, um, in the media and work, but actually how important it is um, to capture people's attention. Um, and I'm delighted that, <laughs> I'm delighted that actually I followed up. Uh, you, you, you brought a bit of color to my LinkedIn feed um, and actually had an, op- uh, uh, an opportunity to chat and just, yeah, connected over the power of stereo storytelling. So thank you very much for joining me to, to chat about well, your career, how to stand out in a noisy world. <laughs> <laughs> thought leadership and all that good stuff. Well, thanks, and, and you're welcome. In answer to your first question about how important it is to stand out and good content, I think it it's always been important, but it's more important than ever. In that, if you look at the sort of the trend of sales and marketing now, it's all about marketing your company through content and that could be a, a blog a white paper even a podcast webinar ebook and you know maybe when i started off in in journalism about 20 25 years ago and then I, I did some copywriting on the side it was all about oh okay we might do an advertorial but most of our our company's budget advertising marketing budget will be let's get a you know half paid big trade magazines or a full page classified recruitment or in the financial times or whatever and it was quite a, a kind of binary view of things and it was here's the hard sell whereas i kind of see content marketing or good content marketing as a kind of soft sell and it's a bit more journalistic and it's mm-hmm. here's something interesting that we've got to say and something valuable and we're going to keep on 
producing it and hopefully you'll take our company seriously or raise the profile of our brand but it's a kind of soft sell it's a bit it's like a, a slow burn like a good box set a yeah. bit like you know breaking bad or better call Saul. Yeah. it it's not instant gratification but there's enough evidence out there to show that good content marketing and being seen as a use that buzzword early on thought leader mm-hmm. can really help um get your company's sales leads and improve the profile of your company's brand and help you break into new markets and compete against bigger companies. It's that trust, isn't it, though? Because I think, I think, well, I don't know about you, but well, I think whether we're aware of it or not, we're being sold to constantly. You know, you just like everywhere you mm. look, you, know, you don't drive down the street, you know, there's like marketing, you know, bat- banners, everything. So, you know, with this, with this overload. So actually, but it is, it's that kind of, as you say, that kind of the, the soft sell, the slow game, that the kind of the adding value, being interesting, being the go-to expert or the go-to when when, when someone needs you. Yeah, and I think it's half the problem is companies churn out all this content marketing or thought leadership because they think, right, okay, here, what's our sort of um, sales pipeline for the next quarter or half year or year, rather than thinking, what are the really interesting things we're doing in the business or what what are some interesting views we've got that could really help the readers do their job or help them see the world world differently. And then once we've got those interesting ideas, link them to what our company does. So I think it's the kind of wrong way around a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, yeah, the sort of the, the challenge for a lot of companies with thought leadership or content marketing is that they're becoming their own publishers and they're using, trying to borrow a lot of journalism techniques, but to kind of mixed results, really. And the forgetting about the importance of sort of a bit of objectivity or putting yourself in the shoes of the reader mm-hmm. or saying something new. Mm-hmm. And they're just focusing too much on, is this aligned with, you know, what we had for breakfast, what our brand stands for, our sales plan for two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the reader doesn't care about that because the reader will the target reader might be, I don't know, an IT director or a chief executive for a potential customer, and they'll be on the way to work or, you know, the, the kind of co-working space, whatever, and they'll be looking at something on their tablet in, in Wired or the Financial Times or the BBC, or they'll be listening to a podcast that's being produced by journalists, and then they'll switch to something, some company blog or, or webinar or white paper, and they'll expect the writing to be equally high standard they won't think in their brain oh okay um it's being produced by people who aren't journalists if i had to reread it two or three times that's fine it doesn't work like that mm-hmm. yeah well i love what you just said about um helping people to see the world differently <laughs> like that's mm. such a powerful statement and this is what i love about you know your career because you i mean you've had let's you know thought leadership fascinating and i love what you're talking about content marketing but you i'm so fascinated by people's stories and career stories in particular and you know have you always seen the world differently yourself do you think um (laughs) some of my news editors might think think so but not in a good way um yeah I mean when I was at school I was journalism journalism was 
always in the back of my mind, but I've ne- I was never one of these, you know, at secondary school and these super focused and ambitious people who were sort of getting work experience. And I remember, um, I think it was someone from the local newspaper journalist from the local Echo came to talk to our my class at secondary school and I stayed behind afterwards and asked what must have been a semi-sensible question. And he said, oh, well, it's, you know, he saw that I had some interest in journalism. He said, oh, if you want to come along and have a look at, um, you know, let me know. Get in. Of course I didn't. <laughs> um, but eventually I got into journalism. And yeah, I've always been interested in, I think with journalism, it's finding new information, talking to interesting people, hopefully uncovering the truth about something or new angles to it, challenging what might be the conventional wisdom and just kind of causing mischief in a good way. <laughs> I love and, it. and yeah, so it was, I started off in journalism in and kind of fell into writing about business initially I, I you know, and technology initially. I, I thought I, I couldn't care less about either, but found out that I was really interested in business and technology and how it changes people's everyday life and society and even politics and economics. And then I, I kind of thought I was just interested in features. So lo- writing longer articles, less news focused, but then realised a news editor said, actually, I was a better news reporter. And so then got into that and worked for some big trade magazines. And the good thing about that was as a journalist, you can, it's it's almost like you're a bit of a, a voyeur, but in a not in a creepy way, because you can sort of dip into all these professions and people's lives. So I wrote about the tech industry in the first dot-com boom in the late ni- in the late 90s. Um, then I had a total change in his work writing about social workers and social services. And obviously that's got its own pressures and as well as, as benefits. And then I wrote about the sort of accountancy sector and professional services firms, then worked for a newswire and then for a national newspaper. Um, I was there for less time than I thought that it just didn't work out. But the good thing was that I took the plunge and went freelance. And then as a freelance journalist, like I think a lot of freelance business journalists, they realise, you realise that um, pay rates for, for journalism, certainly in the UK, in my experience, haven't kept up with inflation. They haven't really risen significantly for um, about 20, 30 years. And to, it's 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 hard to, to make a good living as a freelance journalist. It is possible. And so a lot of freelance journalists, myself included, supplement their income by doing copywriting what's now you could term thought leadership long form blogs white papers mm-hmm. and you use your journalism experience uh, and and that can be a premium um in the jobs market um so that's what i've kind of ended up doing a bit and kind of the the pie has got a lot bigger mm-hmm. i love it no um, and actually, I mean, how? Because again, I, I I'm fascinated by transitions. I like to think of myself as the queen, the queen of transitions. And mm-hmm. now how was that? You know, going from you know, obviously, you know, you progressed your career, but you've been an employee working. You know, I think you'd been working, you know, working for the BBC before you just was it BBC that you just before you went freelance. You were working. For? Yeah, well, it was the Guardian, but then since I went freelance, I worked. Yeah, I've, I've reported for the BBC, and that's been great. But I think. Just before I went freelance, I, I was it was in the kind of back of my mind, and then just around the time of just I went freelance, I had this like bit of a career crisis. Hopefully, my only one. 
<laughs> and but it made me really reassess things and so I thought I part of the problem I think looking back with my career was that I, I loved journalism and I worked for some great trade magazines computer weekly county age um but I was always thinking about the next job and thinking oh I, I like 50 percent of this job but I'd love to try this or that job mm-hmm. and I felt a bit kind of cramped yeah. and so I sort of took the plunge and that was scary going freelance. I remember the first time I went to the supermarket and thinking, I don't have any money coming in. I'm just, and <laughs> I realised how much, it, it seemed like I was spending a huge amount of money, which I, I wasn't spending any more money than usual. Mm-hmm. And it was a, just a totally different mentality. And I went freelance at the at the height of the financial crisis in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I went freelance when I, I kind of did it in the way you, you know, you're not advised to. I didn't have any clients lined up. Mm-hmm. I just got in touch with a, a couple of old journalist friends and they gave me some shifts on, on their titles. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was scary. And I think I don't want to, I'll try not to use the word journey because it makes me sound like I'm on, on the X factor. <laughs> but it has been a pain because I think when I first went freelance, about 90% of my income was from doing um, reporting shifts for mag- uh, business magazines or newspapers. And I was just pinging around London. I was in London at the time before I moved back to Liverpool and writing for small and very big titles and not really just kind of living hand to mouth, not really giving much thought to forward planning mm-hmm. and or the business of freelance. And since I've been freelance, um, which has been got about, 14 years I've spent more time diversifying so it's been copywriting thought leadership media training writing training sometimes giving webinar presentations I did one recently to SEMA which was very interesting on sustainability but yeah my business has totally changed it's only in the last year and a half or so that I've thought of myself as a business rather than a freelancer Mm-hmm. I love, yeah. Isn't it funny? I, I, I love because I think we both launched into being freelance or having businesses similar way. I kind of just launched in, didn't have, <laughs> didn't have any clients lined up. Had some good contacts. I just, yeah. Mm. But I, I think Ben had come home from work one one evening, and I was just, I said to him, oh, I, you know, I'm resigning from my corporate job. Mm. I'm starting my coaching business, and he was just like have you been drinking like what time <laughs> you had wine or something like what happened to stability and having you know but I was just yeah. vision of how things could be yeah was so much more compelling than the fear of what maybe how, how yeah could be. <laughs> but did you did that sounded like the kind of a you sort of you knew you had this strong instinct that you wanted to a, a change and that mm, you, well, you didn't ponder it too long. You just, it was the right thing to do. Well, I think also, I think for me, the longer I think about something, the less likely it's going to happen. I know, I know how to, yeah. I have to kind of almost hack my own brain as far as just, just crack on um, and go for it um, and then find, find, find your way. But you do, you know, if you want it. It's, then- yeah. It's interesting actually. Look, um, Looking back to the freelance market when I went freelance in 2008 and how it is now, and there's a lot more support now for freelancers or as I guess, you know, I just said I'm a, a business or I'm a sort of business of one. 
um you know there's more social networking there's so I was just reading like um got through the post the freelancer magazine which is this brilliant magazine aimed at, at, at freelancers um in all in all sectors particularly the, my kind of sector and there's just a lot more support there's podcasts like this whereas it just felt a lot more isolated when I was was freelance I mean there'd be some in-person networking events but and the whole the other interesting thing I think and it's a, a bigger change in society is now it's a lot more common and a kind of socially acceptable I suppose you could say just to be start your own business and it's seen as a cool thing whereas it wasn't that wasn't the case so much in 2000 even back in 2008 and some people might almost think oh right can't you hack it as an employee or why don't you want another a full-time job and for some people myself included I just much prefer the the variety of being freelance and that I don't miss working in an office and I was lucky in that I was working in the tail end of the sociable side of of journalism where you could go and have long lunches with clients back in the 90s and you know there was lots of press parties PR parties which is basically a a free bar when I was at Computer Weekly and it was you know I was in my mid to late 20s early 30s it's great fun and I made lots of good friends naturally whereas now when I go back in the office and do some shifts it's almost like I've got to sort of practice my small talk beforehand (laughs) because it just it unless there's that I know it takes a while to build up that natural connection but it can just feel stilted like sometimes I'd have a great weekend and people say oh how's your weekend I just say oh quiet (laughs) if it feels strained I I couldn't be bothered but um now with things like co-working there's a lot more a lot more alternatives Oh, I know, no, I just love that. So you were ahead of the curve. You were, you, you were, you were freelancing before it was cool, <laughs> but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, in some ways, I'm a late adopter, but yeah, I've been freelance for a long time, mm-hmm. and now I don't know how you feel about this, but now I can't imagine just being an employee for one organization. It had to be an incredible organization. I'd always just feel like, ah, oh, I want to try new things and I think that the big challenge I faced and that the big challenge probably the biggest chance for a lot of freelancers is combining the variety of freelance work with the financial security and getting regular income yeah that's the the big can be the big downside when you sort of suddenly you might lose a few clients in one month and you think oh no because it takes at least a month or so to get to get new ones and, and to not get that feeling of panic when things slow is now I've been doing it long enough touch wood to hopefully know that I might lose some clients but the work will start to come will keep on coming yeah yeah. and there's certain times of them of the year what you say absolutely because that's kind of that having that variety finding that sweet spot between having the variety the financial security but also making sure that you have time for life because I think I've kind of over the years I've kind of come from having loads of white space because it was kind of early, early days and mm. bits here and there, you know, have you know two-hour lunches and all that, to then being like all of a sudden, you know, a victim of my own success being so busy and then being like, mm. where's the life? You know, <laughs> and then trying to find so it's kind of always that constantly navigating to kind of again come back to that sweet spot of having <laughs> the variety, financial stability and the life. Yeah. 
it's interesting, isn't it, how, and, and I see this through LinkedIn, which I spend quite a lot of time on, how people now expect so much more from work mm. and they expect so much, which is good in a way, so much more from in terms of the sort of job satisfaction or variety or what what the company stands for ethically, which can be um, obviously, you know, a, a good thing if it's not just lip service. And then, but they also want, you know, they're more preoccupied with work life, you know, this work life balance. And they also open up a lot more on things, even if it's just on, I don't know how reflective LinkedIn is of, of reality, but people talk a lot about, a lot more about their personal lives on LinkedIn. And that's been a big change. So I think how we work and what we want from work has changed quite a lot in 20 years. And it's a, it's been such a sort of kind of big change, but gradual change that it's sometimes hard to see. Mm-hmm. Which then makes it interesting then, because you, you, you're you absolutely right. I, I see that as well, that people you know, very much are demanding more from organisations and, 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 from, and from life. And look, we've had the kind of the, the great resignation or the great rethink, whatever, you know. Um, but I think there's also, that's why there's such an opportunity with what you do you know, around that kind of thought leadership and really awesome, you know, that content marketing as far as kind of like tapping into and winning over the hearts and minds and cap of people in, in a different way. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, I, yeah, it, it's good to be sort of slightly sceptical of content marketing because or thought leadership because a lot of it's done badly, but I work with enough clients who do it well or hopefully help them do it well to see that it it can really um boost the the bottom line in a business and i had one recent conversation with a um a senior um senior partner so a big client and he had an interesting point about the difference between marketing and thought leadership Mm -hmm. and he said kind of marketing is so very much on the, the here and now what are we selling a lot of or what's really popular with our customers what's really doing well whereas thought leadership is more what might be big in two or three years time so in, in technology it might be quantum computing is tipped as one of the huge transformative technologies particularly if you know it might mean that you know all computer encryption can be cracked and it's potentially as, as big as a, a artificial intelligence from my limited understanding and so something like that might be really important in, com- in thought leadership because you want to start talking about it as a company and getting your views out there now rather than if you wait two years until the market's maturing and lots of your rivals are, are established as saying interesting things on quantum computing and blogs and white papers and conferences it's too late mm-hmm. so the thing is it's partly about as he uh, as one person said the bounce of the ball and timing when you do your thought leadership but also just focusing on basics so um saying coming up with interesting ideas that are valuable to your audience and that you are genuinely interested in because i think a lot of the time sometimes with bad thought leadership companies are just going through the motions all oh, right our chief executive saw some ted talk on this topic and we better do something or we've got you know some our sales director is putting pressure on me to talk about this whereas really unless you're if you're really interested in a subject that will shine through and then if you genuinely would read a blog or a white paper on something even if you weren't at the company i think that is the true test because mm. in journalism 
you're kind of one of the big things is your news editor might say so what or something a bit blunter and or who cares mm. and that's that you've you've got to have that and that could be who cares because it could help could change my job it, it could change society it could benefit the environment um it could boost our company's profits but you've got to have that so what and ideally link it to what journalism's call a, a news hook to something topical in the news something in current affairs obviously one of the big things now might be um the cost of living crisis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know or a longer term one might be you know sustainability in business mm-hmm. but just focus on those key things and, and make sure that it's a, a strong idea and then develop it Mm-hmm. What are some of the best examples of kind of thought leadership done well that you've seen over the years? Um, I don't know about specific ones, but I'd say by industry, some of the slickest uh, and most interesting thought leadership would, would come from, say, um, management consultancies, so the, the big ones, and um, it might be, you know, not in no particular order, but it might be, you know, Accenture, um, McKinsey, Bain, and then the big professional services firms, PwC, and then also the really big tech companies. Um, And often the sort of people, when I sort of do a bit of investigation or look at who's been working on them, it's former journalists and now sort of like me, sort of freelance journalists and sort of, thought leadership writers or copywriters and they sort of they'll outsource the production of some of the content but if you look at the the best thought leadership it could stand comparison to maybe you know an article in um wired or the financial times or some bbc feature and it's genuinely interesting and there's certain ingredients to good thought leadership i'd say does it say something new? That's that's quite important. And it doesn't have to be totally groundbreaking or revolutionary, but a, a new angle on a subject. Is it valuable to the audience? That's a key. And then does it include, for example, what new stuff does it include? Does it include original research? Mm-hmm. That's always a good one to improve the quality of your thought leadership because that research is one of the main new things in it. You're not just copying and pasting previous bits of thought leadership or or articles from the news do you interview some of the world's like or some of the top experts on that subject or in or in that industry that's always a good sign of high quality high quality thought leadership just like there's certain hallmarks to you know a a top quality bespoke suit it might be little details but that's key and then is it written clearly and well that's a big one and often it isn't i'd say on on average the the quality of most corporate thought leadership is pretty poor Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's improved much in the last 20 years and then also so i suppose finally does it or i suppose two more things does it have some kind of human interest or practical examples that might be case studies Mm -hmm. or if it's hard to name customers just real life examples or anecdotes it could be you know uh, when i was you know 
I was talking to the chief executive of one of our customers and and she was so stressed she was just she wasn't was losing sleep at night because of this problem and then does it have bold opinions because a lot of the time a lot of the thought leadership is just so beige mm. it almost disappears on the page and it's on the one hand on the other hand on another hand mm-hmm. and you think just what's the point if you're not going to have opinions don't it, it's it's pointless publishing work yeah. I mean you probably see this with yeah. the people you work with they're sometimes so concerned with upsetting shareholders or saying the wrong thing oh, that they yeah. mm-hmm. don't say anything yeah absolutely and I think that's it I think people are, yeah they want to just kind of toe the corporate line um you know and are fearful of what they can and cannot say but then actually the, the organizations that are drawing people in um, and capturing people's minds and people are being intrigued by are the ones that have a little bit more flexibility and people you're getting to see the, the real people the humans there's that the capturing the interest and in, you know such a variety of topics rather than that kind of corporate you know, talk which you know it, yeah so it, absolutely so tell me, because a lot of the listeners to this podcast are leaders you know, of, of varying levels, mostly kind of in, mm. in the STEM field, you know, because I, I, I do, and I talk to a lot of my leaders about the power of storytelling, how it's so important is for, for leaders, um, but also, you know, how that even they can become kind of everyday thought leaders, you know. Well, where do you see some of the benefits are for, for individual leaders, potentially, uh, and where can they even start? Mm, okay, that's a good question. I mean, there's definitely benefits for individual leaders. They don't necessarily just all have to be chief executives of multi-billion dollar companies. It can be companies of all sizes and in the public sector. What's in it for them? Well, it's to sort of raise their profile in the organisation and in their industry or sector mm. and be seen as someone who's got some interesting views on something and who people turn to to make sense of something or of the world. So kind of original thinkers. I kind of think it's been bastardised a bit, thought leadership, because it's just been like a lot of terms in marketing. It's just been so overused. But I think that if you just define it as someone who's got a unique or really interesting view on something. And then they can just start to develop, you know, just start slowly. You could write um, an opinion article in some, in your sort of the trade publication for your sector or you could start to sort of talk at conferences um, on a particular subject that you feel comfortable with mm-hmm. and you don't even need to do this you know everyone's a keynote speaker these days aren't they I don't know what <laughs> what it is if you're the second note speaker but you could just be on a, a group panel mm-hmm. um, discussion and, and that there's a bit less pressure on that and then you know, I sometimes do media training for executives and you just see the confidence grow. Once you, there are certain communication tricks to learn, but a lot of it is just um, talking naturally, just trying to avoid jargon. Um, Try and, you know, use short words, short sentences, give examples to back up general points and just write about things that you're actually interested in. Mm-hmm. And if there isn't, and and don't feel the need to sort of imply that everything about a technology or a, a service or a part of industry or government is brilliant. If it isn't, if there's a grey area, say there's a grey area, because 
that's my problem with a lot of say marketing say in the tech industry the suppliers are always sort of implying our oh, well our technology is amazing everything in the garden is rosy even when the garden's full of weeds and everyone knows and the customers know that although the technology has certain benefits it's quite difficult to use and they're struggling to get a predicted return on investment whereas if I sometimes think if suppliers fessed up to that, people would be really open to that and a a bit more honesty. You know, there's this buzzword about show your vulnerability and and that kind of thing, but that hasn't really seeped into a lot of corporate marketing. But those, I think, are the main, some of my main tips. Start slowly and, and maybe follow, you know, look at TED Talks you like, or if you read a blog, by um, someone in a rival company or even a different industry sector that you like or an opinion article, Mm -hmm. just analyse it and and why does it work for you? And it might not be about even a subject that that you thought you were particularly interested in, but it hooks your attention and Mm -hmm. kind of deconstruct it, just like you might take a bit of machinery apart and then work out how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think that's it's such, I mean, I know you, you talk about, thought, I think the, the term thought leadership, you know, I think it often puts people off. I think it puts often, you know, kind of everyday leaders off doing more of it because it's kind of, again, that kind of personal branding and people think, oh, God, it sounds so marketing. And, you know, but actually, you know, it's so important as a, you know, as a leader to to showcase, you know, your, your opinions. You've got, as you say, unique ways of looking at things. Also to, you know, as organizations use thought leadership to to future proof and to set them up set themselves up for the future again you know individual leaders can do that for their organizations but also for their own careers you know because actually you know if you're ahead of the curve or you know you're seeing where the challenges and problems of your industry mm. are going and you're starting to talk about the solutions and your thoughts on that now how that you know how that can create so many opportunities um oh yeah yeah oh, you know. definitely and it can just, yeah, that could be, a, a, that's another sort of, another benefit of being seen as a thought leader. It might open up career opportunities for you. You're not going to probably most, this, this idea of job for life is long gone. So mm. it could open up, you know, you might get approaches from companies who you'd never even considered working for, but might be a really good fit for you just because mm. they've been following you as a thought leader. And it just makes more it makes work and life a bit more interesting if you're sort of starting to investigate things and, uh, and write about them. And it, it can take you off the kind of the treadmill of work and having to hit, I don't know, quarterly sales targets or endless Zoom meetings or mm. board meetings. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's just a bit of variety, I think. And also improving your writing skills because I think one of the most underrated skills in business is good writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's weird but i think most people most people can write to some level to a fairly basic level but there's a big difference between writing at a fairly basic level and you know really professional writing good quality writing mm-hmm. no i love it. I, was, I was just thinking it just actually as you were talking i was thinking about a, a leader that i worked with a few years ago and actually she works in the clinical research industry and she was really interested in, in, in AI and technology and where that how that might be beneficial to, to, mm. to research in the future. And actually she just started to talk more about it, you know, out there, started to um, to then get asked to do um, talks and then 
attend conferences and just her whole world exploded as far as kind of meeting like-minded people, you know, making cool connections. Mm. And again, just like, you know, all the, the magic that came from just, you know, following her interests and starting to speak more and being a bit braver and with sharing opinions and, you know, and actually, you know, career opportunities unfolding for her. And it's just that, I love that, just, putting, you know, just being curious and then starting to, you know, be courageous to share. You just never know where that might go. Yeah, exactly. And I think it can help this whole thought leadership stuff, the rising or, you know, giving talks can help people clarify what they think about a subject or help spot where the industry is going or where a technology is going. Mm -hmm. And you sort of can like be like a sponge and soak up all these other views. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, it attracts your people you know, you can build communities around ideas. You can, you know, I mean, for your business as well, you know, when I saw your, you know, your post on LinkedIn, I was like, oh, I, I you know, <laughs> he's someone I'd love to have in my network and let, let's, I would love to find out your story. So again, it's kind of like your content obviously drew me in and it's kind of like, you know, and obviously we share a lot of, you know, a lot of things that we're passionate about. And it's, so it's, and, and I, again, some of the stuff I put out on LinkedIn, I've drawn in such, a lot of like-minded people by being, you know, mm. by being a little bit more, yeah, sharing the things I'm really passionate and interested about and, yeah, putting myself out there. Um, but mm. one, of the, one of the other things you know, that we're talking about is with your background, you know, so you've been, you know, you've, you've worked in-house as a, a journalist, you're still a freelance journalist. What about, you know, if leaders are interested in getting on the radar and, you know, and contributing, for example, you know, because there must be, you know, a, a demand for, you know, people not just to put themselves out there for conferences and their own kind of content, but, you know, opinions and uh, for, 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 for news and for, for articles. How, how mm. do you get on the radar? Well, there's, there's a kind of constant demand for that and, as a sort of when I was a sort of a staff reporter for trade magazines and newspapers, you know, I'd get, we'd get dozens of pitches from often from press offices or PR agencies on putting forward various executives as a, a potential writer or writing an opinion article, which would generally be an opinion article, you know, 600 to 800 words. And it's a kind of a strong argument backed up by facts. Mm-hmm. So I'd say it's, you know, it's maybe 70% opinion, 30% fact, and you'd want something that's topical. And a lot of the, the, the ways to stand out would be don't just <laughs> don't just propose um, an article that's a, a thinly disguised sales plug. Like, you know, we'd sometimes get when I was at Computer Weekly, um, this really, you know, quite convincing argument about, say, how the... The, the, the future of the paperless or the demise of the paperless office is very much exaggerated then at the end you'd say says the chief executive of a photocopier or printer company and you think <laughs> so don't just make it don't just stuff your argument with sales plugs try and find some argument that has a strong news hook. And as I mentioned before, a news hook is something that's in the news and link it to something topical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that will help you mm-hmm. stand out. And then just if you were sending a pitch to a, a reporter or a section editor, news editor, you just basically have the title, a really snappy title for the opinion article or blog, 
and then just three to four paragraphs summarizing what the the argument would be and then maybe just a paragraph about why you think this is right for the readers and why it's really right to run now because mm-hmm. that's the one of the other big tests that journalists will, will ask is who cares and and why now so something's always always more compelling to read if it's really topical and relates to something in the news rather you could have a really interesting two articles and one might not relate to anything particular in the news and so if and the other might and the one that does relate to something in the news is more interesting because the reader will think even subconsciously ah right that's why they're running this about something about the cost of living crisis and the impact on on retailers or or people on low incomes mm-hmm. whereas if you ran th- that same article when the economy was booming it's not it might just seem a bit out of place or you'd have to sort of explain harder why certain people were still affected by cost of living Relevant. so yeah that- yeah so just i would say just keep it to kind of summarize the advice for sort of chief executives or managers who want to sort of write articles for the media work out what you want to say and and is it interesting and topical and then find one or two target publications and start research them and have they written about the subjects because there's no point sending something if they've just covered that run a similar opinion article about a month or two months ago Mm -hmm. and then is a, a particular journalist interested in this the subject you want to write about and then research it like a journalist write the pitch like a, a, a and write the pitch like a journalist so just really brief four to five paragraphs find the right editor or reporter to to set to target and then follow up after um, a week or so but if you do all those things and write it in try as best you can to write the, the pitch for the article in the house style of the title of its newspaper or magazine or whatever, that will set you apart from 95% of other pitches, which are just awful, mm-hmm. which have just been sent to probably scattergun to, to hundreds of publications. And it just shows there's a report you think you've done no research, you've got no idea what we're interested in. Mm-hmm. And this is why I actually do like, this is why I think we have, the, I love the evolution of your role and your career and your business now, actually, because pull all these things together for people, you know. So, so tell, so tell me, how do if leaders who are listening to this are thinking, do you know, what, I'd love to get more into my thought leadership. I'd like to get more visible and put interesting content out into the world. And how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, right. I'd, I'd welcome that. I'm definitely more interested in doing more work uh, directly with sort of managers, senior managers, or groups of managers at companies helping them with their thought leadership and they can get in touch via they can e- email me nickhuber72 at googlemail.com or via my linkedin profile which is probably linkedin is probably the only thing i really do on social media mm-hmm. um and then we could just take it from there and have a you know a, a kind of introductory um no pressure 30 minute call because i think it, it can take a while i think to sort of uh and you probably find this, Jen, that the sort of for the defences to come down of the people in management and senior management, so scared of saying the wrong thing or trying something different. Mm-hmm. And they've got all these ideas from 
bad rules from school about what they think good writing is. And if you try and get them to sort of jump those things, just like you'd send unwanted or un unwanted stuff to the tip, and then they can start to actually get their ideas out there. And, and so often the time, the kind of the language of the way they write can get in the way of really interesting ideas. And then when I work with these people, I see their confidence building. And then it's just a case of a slow burn of good content and regular content and, and showing that you've got interesting things to say. Mm -hmm. And then people come back for more and then your confidence grows. But also it's not, it's not like giving evidence in court. It's not a scientific thing. As long as it's, I say to sort of my sort of clients, is it is it interesting and, and valuable and is it accurate? Mm -hmm. As long as you're not defaming someone and it's accurate and you can back up what you say, that's fine. Just publish it. Mm -hmm. um, don't overthink it. Mm -hmm. Obviously take it seriously, but don't overthink it and don't have... 20 people signing off 800 words because then it's just it's a bad use of time yeah. but yeah contact me on yeah. by LinkedIn or email me and we can take it from there uh -huh. no awesome no thank you so much for joining me this has been fascinating I just think that you know I I get to work with so many leaders all over the globe and I think that you know some of them have got you know such incredible backgrounds and stories and opinions and I just think but there's just this fear around being visible and you know then how do you do it where do you do it and where to even get started well come on well <laughs> there, there you are <laughs> you know like yeah, oh. I love the idea that you, of having groups of leaders and you helping them navigate that yeah I mean one thing I just thought of in, in terms of like working with people and things I like is that whether it's one-on-one -on -one with a sort of chief executive or senior manager or a, a group of people the thing it takes a while to find the things that are really interesting that they can talk about the things that they think are interesting often aren't that much aren't that interesting to the media or the potential customers or, or the industry but yeah. they've just been because they've been working on some big projects they think all oh, right this new technology or this new service is really exciting and we spent a lot of time on it but it isn't that but the things that they mention in passing like oh yeah we just we're just doing that thing for nasa and that ai technology for nasa but oh yeah i don't think that's interesting and i'm like what no you <laughs> you need to talk about that whereas forget your courted update to your software product that's maybe not that earth shattering so it takes a while to work out you know what the interesting stuff is that companies are doing then also what they stand for and then just how to communicate that as clearly as possible you don't want the language to get in the way of the ideas mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i love that oh no so from that high school talk where you you sat mm -hmm. <laughs> compelled to stay back from uh um, from, from that first journalist coming in chatting to you to to now helping businesses across the globe and leaders i just think what a cool story you have um and thanks so much for for, for sharing that no problem thanks for having me on i've really enjoyed this conversation very cathartic <laughs> i love it thanks thank you so much for tuning in this topic is so close to my heart it is absolutely my sweet spot working with leaders to confidently navigate periods of growth and change and really have maximum impact in those new roles. As always, don't be a stranger. I would love to hear from you. So wherever you are in the world, 
drop me a message, send me an email, come find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. I really enjoy hearing what's jumped out to people, you know, what are the key takeaways from these um, podcast episodes, um, or even just to say hello and say that you listened, and uh, that would be awesome. And I will catch up with you soon. Bye.